At this time, I'd like to welcome my my friend and brother in Christ, Kyle Zook, to preach the word for us. I always wondered what it'd like be like to preach in front of all your family. We're <laughs> gonna find out. <laughs> I better pray for you. Father, thank you for Kyle's uh, willingness to preach your word. I just pray that you give him the confidence to preach the truth and that we can apply it to our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. As always, I'd like to start out by saying I hope that you all have had a good week. I hope that you've been enjoying the last few days as you come together with loved ones and family that maybe you haven't seen in a while for a time of Thanksgiving. I know that in in uh, our family, we got to have a little bit of a family reunion this week, and it was nice to see family we haven't seen in a while and catch up with each other. A cousin from Indiana came and some others. And also we have the tradition of Thanksgiving Day watching football, and uh, something that my dad and my brother and I do together every year. Now, football is interesting. For those of you that have ever played it or any other sport, you've been a member of any type of a team because of the locker room dynamic. When you're in there, you look around and you see that all the players are completely diverse. No one is ever the same. They come from different neighborhoods. They come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. And yet you all come together under the banner of this team with a single goal in mind, to play the game and to win. And all your differences are put aside to focus on this goal. And so it is with us as the body of Christ as well. We're all diverse. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different upbringings. But we come together with a single goal in mind, to worship Christ as a body, to look past our differences, and on this day to commune in remembrance of him with each other. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to be reading verses 17 through 34. But first, before we read this, there's a few things that we need to know about this scripture, as far as what all is going on. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth, and he's speaking to them specifically about the Lord's Supper in this section. Now, throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, he talks to them about different things like the excellence of love and prophecy and spiritual gifts. But this is concerning the Lord's Supper. And more specifically, it's concerning how they're taking it, the heart that they have while they're doing it, and the fact that they are focusing on their differences. Now, what is the Lord's Supper to which the Apostle Paul is speaking? Well, the Lord's Supper is the origin of communion. And Duane will read an account later, afterwards, as we partake of the bread and the cup together. But for us, we're going to begin by looking at the words of Paul. Now, the Lord's Supper was the final meal that Jesus had with his disciples. It was the final time that they communed in peace together before the cross. And what they were doing when they were coming together is they were celebrating the Passover. They were celebrating Passover. And Passover is the celebration where the the Jews were freed from slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt through God and his display of his power, through plagues. And he used Moses to do this. And the final plague was when the angel of death came and it was going to kill the firstborn of all the males of Egypt. But there was a way to be safe for those who trusted in Yahweh, trusted in the name of the Lord. 
If David sacrificed a lamb and collected its blood and put it on the doorpost, when the angel of death came, it would pass over. Those who were under the blood of the lamb would be saved from death. And so the Jews continued celebrating this as the years went forward, and Christ would also celebrate this as well. Now, when you read about Christ and celebrating the Passover, you may notice a few things. One is that he never makes a sacrifice, because of course he doesn't. He's sinless and he's blameless. And we see in the Gospel of John that he celebrates Passover on three different occasions at least. But in this time, in the Lord's Supper, this is the final time. Now, he always goes and he communes and he teaches. And in this account, he is communing with his disciples. And this is where we see the Lord take the bread and say that it is his body and the wine and say that it is his blood that will be spilled. In the account in the Gospel of Luke of the Lord's Supper, in Luke 22, 19 through 20, it states that, and he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. And so we have the old covenant transitioning into the new covenant. We have the Mosaic law and the sacrifices needed to forgive sins being transitioned into our sins being forgiven under the blood of Christ in this moment. The sacrificial lamb fading away for the lamb of God to take its place. But also notice that as he is talking to the disciples, he tells them, do this in remembrance of me. And doing this in remembrance of me indicates that as you move forward, you're going to be looking back on this moment. You're going to do this with each other. You're going to continue to look back as you move into the future. And so this rite that they do with each other, the sacrament that they take, this would be beginning to be instituted in the early church immediately by the disciples. And eventually, even as the gospel spread and churches sprung up from all over, including the church in Corinth. Now, even though the church in Corinth is a young church, even already mediocrity has set in. And lackluster in the way that they were doing this. And this is what Paul is addressing. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you haven't gotten there already. And we'll be reading verses 17 through 34 together. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Now, the church at Corinth was a fledgling church. It was a young church, and yet, because of its position and where it was, it would have been comprised of all sorts of people. It would have been comprised of all classes. It would have been comprised of multiple vocations. And it would have been comprised, because of the pagan society it was in, of people who had multiple former religions. Now, most likely, this church would have been comprised mostly of lower class. But even in that, there is diversity. You would have slaves and servants and lower in merchants. And much like us, this church was totally diverse in everyone's background that would have been coming together. Now, sometimes in life, to understand what something is, you need to know what it is not. And to understand how to do something, you need to first understand what not to do. So before we get into the account in the Gospels, we're going to look at what Paul is telling us here. What Paul is teaching us through his words in the church of Corinth. This is what you must not do. First off, Paul begins by telling them that I'm not going to praise you for following instructions. I'm not going to praise you because you're doing this out of some type of sense of devotion or because you're supposed to because you're a believer. That is not why we are doing this. And he even tells them that they are worse off spiritually after coming together because they came together divided. They were not right with each other, and they were worse off after partaking in this. And they were not doing it with the fullness and the brevity of the situation that it demanded. They were doing this in a lackluster manner. In fact, in verse 22, you see the apostle state that, Do you not have houses to eat and drink? This is not what this is for. This is not a meal. This is not eating bread and drinking wine. This isn't simply a ceremony. This is something that we are doing in remembrance of Christ and remembrance of his sacrifice. And it carries a weight with it. But this church was not seeing it in that way. They had become complacent in the way that they were handling the Lord's Supper and communing with each other. And in verses 24 and 25, we see the Apostle Paul kind of recall the account from the Gospels of the of the Last Supper. When he speaks of the bread, he states that he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, when he uses the bread and he uses the wine, he uses this kind of in a twofold manner. One, he is being prophetic and telling them in the way in which he will die. But two, he is also telling them that prophecy is being fulfilled because he is the lamb that will be sacrificed. Now, when he speaks of his body being broken, we know that there were no bones broken in him, which held with an Old Testament prophecy. But his body, his flesh, was beaten beyond recognition in accordance with Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. And the wine being a symbol of his blood that would be spilt was a prophecy of the horrible death that awaited him. Again, fulfilling Genesis 3, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and others. But in verse 26, the Apostle Paul kind of adds to this and brings more to light when he states that, For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take communion with each other, As we said, this is not something that we take lightly. This is a proclamation. We are proclaiming Christ as our Savior. We are proclaiming that we believe in him as our Lord and that we are saved under the blood of the Lamb. And it's more than just proclaiming that the Lord is our Savior. We are proclaiming this during a certain time period. Paul states that we proclaim this until he comes. We proclaim this until he comes meaning that there is hope. This is a proclamation of hope because we are looking forward to the day when he comes and he communes with us, when he returns and takes back that which is his, and things will be different. Now, we know that we read Luke twenty-two nineteen and 20, where he talks about the bread and the wine. But in Luke twenty-two eighteen, before he states that, these are the words of Christ to his disciples. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He will not drink of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes and he is with us. And so in this, we proclaim hope as we commune together. Now, in the verses following, Paul kind of begins to add um, to describe the weight in which this carries. Paul is issuing a warning to the church in Corinth. He states that, tell them that if they partake in an unworthy manner, such as in verse 27, then you will eat and drink judgment to yourself. If you partake in this way with an unworthy heart, you will eat and drink and bring judgment to yourself. Now, I know that for myself, as I have taken communion over the years, especially when I was younger, this was just kind of something that you did every once in a while. This is something that you did because you were a Christian or you did because you wanted to show Christ that you loved him and that you remembered him. And while these things are true, there is a weight that this carries with it. You need to be right in your heart before the Lord, right with your brothers before the Lord, before you come before him to partake in this. And Paul kind of doubles down on this, if you will, in verse 30, when he states that this is why some of you are weak, ill and dead is because you have not given this the respect that it deserves. And he also talks about how man should judge themselves, know your heart, come before him in repentance. 
almost as if he is saying that it is better to judge ourselves and repent than have God judge us and be disciplined. Repentance and confession are a vital part of taking communion before the Lord. Because we do not want to bring a judgment upon ourselves. Now, for those of us who are right with the Lord, those of us who are saved, who declare him Lord, who have gone through and repented all of our struggles, all of the things that we don't want to admit, all of the just the problems we're having in life and and maybe the, the problems with our brothers or with our spouses or whatever. We have confessed all of this before the Lord. For us, there is no concern about judgment. For us, we do this in peace, knowing that we are saved by him. And the blood of the lamb has saved us. Now, a couple of uh, sermons ago, we were talking in the Gospel of John, and we were talking about some comparisons between the Gospel of John and the book of Exodus. We talked about how Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage, and so Jesus Christ leads us out of bondage. We talked about how... Jesus, in a way, reverses some of the plagues. There was illness and pestilence put upon the Egyptians, and Christ heals. There was darkness put over the land of Egypt, and Christ is the light that shines in the darkness. And we also talked about the similarities between Christ and the Passover lamb. And the theologian Tim Mackey, when speaking about the Lord's Supper and Communion, he makes this comparison as well of Christ back to the Passover lamb. He states that through the lamb... Yahweh saves the Israelites from slavery to Pharaoh. And through Jesus, Yahweh rescues the world from slavery to the powers of sin and death. And for that, we are thankful and we are grateful. And as we continue as a church body to transition through the holidays from Thanksgiving into Christmas, where we celebrate the the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and we go through Advent together and we focus on Love, hope, peace, and joy. In this time of communion, while there is a pause, I do hope that you repent and you come before him and you make peace so that your heart is right and your heart is worthy. But I also hope that you take the time to reflect on the love, the hope, and the peace and the joy that Jesus Christ has brought you in knowing him and having a relationship with him. Because without him... All hope is lost. All joy is superficial. Peace will only be on the surface. And love will never be deep. And so as the the elders want to come up and begin to prepare this, I have a final paragraph to read. This is not an action that we do just because. This isn't something we do only with those who are like-minded. This is not something we take lightly or enter into without respect or humility. This is us obeying a command of our Savior, a command to remember his sacrifice for us. This is us carrying forward from the Lord's Supper into the present, a command that our Lord gave nearly 2,000 years ago. This is us proclaiming him, his life, death, and resurrection. This is us putting our differences aside, repenting, and coming before him, coming as a body and individually with a heart that desires repentance, purification and restoration, us declaring a hope that is in him and that we will one day celebrate with him as he once again drinks from the vine, the vine. Communion is us as a body partaking in the bread and the cup in remembrance of him 
because of the love that he has for us and us for him.